this new series called Christmas Through the Eyes of. And what this series uh, will cover over the next few weeks is it's going to cover the Christmas story from the perspective of, through the lens of the people who are actually there. Um, I, I like this idea of just looking at the Christmas story. Sometimes it becomes such a, um, you know, such a sort of vague sort of hazy idea that you forget that, no, there was actually a real child born in Bethlehem, uh, and people saw it, and people were there, and people witnessed it. And so we're going to explore just a little bit um, uh, through their eyes what that first Christmas was like. Today we're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of King Herod and through the eyes of the Magi, the wise men. Uh, Let me start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever received a piece of news, and you had one response to it, but somebody else had a very different response to that same piece of news. Have you ever experienced something like that? So I'll give you an example to clarify. We always get stuff in the mail, right? Like we always get massive amounts of junk in the mail, and I I normally don't look at any of it. But one time we got a thing in the mail that said that Macy's was having this huge blowout sale. Okay, now I saw that card. Well, let me put it like this. My wife saw that card and she had one reaction and it was unfettered, exultant jubilation. Okay, her uh, her pupils dilated, her adrenaline started pumping, her blood pressure went up, little little uh, goosebumps on her arms. I mean, it was like a visceral and me, my reaction to that same piece of news. Both of us looking was a little hesitant, a little reluctant little nervous about eating ramen noodles at the end of the month because we'd already blown the budget for the whole month. That kind of thing, right? Same piece of news, very, very different reactions. Um, in, the, uh, in the sports world, a few weeks ago, um, about three of you will care about this, but, I, but, but I'm, I'm the fourth one, so I'm just going to say. A few weeks ago, there was a, a, a big upset in the mixed martial arts world. Uh, a woman named Ronda Rousey was defeated by this, another woman named Holly Holm in the bantamweight division in the second round of the fight. And, uh, you know, some people were just absolutely ecstatic. And, of course, some people were just absolutely distraught, right? Because one piece of news, depending on your perspective, depending on, depending on the lens through which you're looking, may be good news or may be bad news. Um, another quick example. If I were to say to you, hey, I just want you to know, your mother-in-law is coming for a visit. Some of you are, yeah, some of you are really, really excited about that, and some of you just got a little tight in your throat, did you? It's just, you know, good news, bad news. Um, whenever we get the, we're on our fourth child, whenever we look at that little stick that says we're pregnant, um, sometimes, I'm, I'm always pretty happy about that. Rebecca is sometimes not quite as exultant about that, but anyway. Um, the, the news that Christmas was coming, the original proclamation of that was supposed to be universal good news. It was supposed to be news that would bring exultant joy to everyone. Even today, if I say, hey, Christmas is coming, I've already started saying Merry Christmas to people when I see them. And, you know, but if I were to say Christmas is coming, for some of you, that might be just uh, that, that might just bring you great joy. My ch- children will do backflips down this aisle when I say Christmas is coming, right? But some of you, Christmas, as Claude mentioned, is, is a time where it's busy. It could be stressful. Uh, family could bring tensions. Um, it can be a time where you think about loss, people that could have been there with you um, but are no longer there. 
it, it can be a time of, uh, of sorrow. It can be a time of sadness. It can be a very, very difficult time. But the original proclamation of Christmas, when it was first stated that Christmas was coming, it was supposed to be a time of universal joy for everybody. In fact, when the angel made the announcement, this is what he said. He said, do not be afraid. He said, do not be afraid. I bring you, uh, uh, I, I bring you good news that will cause great joy, he said, for all the people. In other words, this was supposed to be good news, A. It was supposed to be, bring great joy, and that joy was supposed to be universal. It was supposed to be for everybody. And here was, here's the good news that he, was supposed to, that he was bringing. He said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. So what's great about that news? What this news meant to communicate to everyone is that the world was about to be set right, that there was going to be a king that would come and set the world straight, that there would be real peace on, on earth, that tyrants would be overthrown, that injustice would be, would be uh, uh, stopped, that there would be no poverty, there would be no hatred. I mean, can you imagine a world where the news is a savior is coming and the result of him coming is that there'll be no no bigotry, no racism, no violence, no poverty, no hurt, no hunger, no shame. There'll be joy, peace, hope, love, and prosperity for everyone, right? That was the original intent of this communication. It should bring great joy to everyone. But there was a person in Jerusalem at the time that this announcement was made for whom this was not good news. There was a person who was very, very unhappy about this news, uh, and his name was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king, the local ruler in Jerusalem, um, and he found this news to be really, really disturbing because he was the king of the Jews at that time. He was not born into this position. He didn't get it by God's anointing. Herod the Great, if you look historically, fought and clawed and plotted and murdered and deceived his way into this, this throne, into this position. His father was friends with Julius Caesar. He began to uh, uh, curry favor with the Romans. And in 40 B.C., he stood before the Roman Senate and he was, he was, he was conferred the title that he had desired all of his life. He was conferred the title by the Romans of King of the Jews. So when he heard the news that there was going to be a king, this did not bring him great joy. Herod, Herod got this initial excitement and joy from being inaugurated as the king of the Jews. But how many of you know sometimes when you get the thing that you've been really wanting because you think it's going to fill a desire somewhere deep in your heart, that there may be a moment of gladness, but it doesn't ultimately bring happiness. It doesn't ultimately bring joy. You get a shot of something that you want, and then a few minutes later or a week later or a month later, that hollowness, that emptiness is still there. That's what happened to Herod, because what he found out is that after you get named king of the Jews, now the rest of your life is going to be spent plotting and deceiving and controlling and manipulating so that you can remain king of the Jews. And Herod was notorious for striving and fighting and doing everything within his power to maintain that prominence, to maintain that title. In fact, uh, if you look at the history of, of Herod, it's absolutely stunning. The first thing that he did 
even though he was the king of the Jews, he wanted to maintain this sort of external sense that, you know, he was an observant Jew and that he followed the law and he studied the law, he knew the law. Um, but the very first thing he did after he was given this title was he went into the, the, the uh, temple of Jupiter and he bowed his knee before the Romans, Roman gods because it was the Romans that conferred this title upon him, right? And then he took the Roman army. He went back to Jerusalem. He laid siege to Jerusalem. He defeated all of his enemies. He rounded up all of his old political rivals. He had every single one of them executed. He just went on an absolute tirade. Then to bring some, uh, some sense of legitimacy to his title, he married a woman named Mary Amne. And, and she was a, uh, a, a Jewish princess from a long dynasty of, of, of the Hasmonean dynasty, which was a sort of a legitimate uh, royal family. And so he said, if I marry her, then people might think that I'm sort of a legitimate kind of person. Uh, and then not only did he marry her, but then he, he uh, based upon her recommendation, her younger brother, her 17-year-old brother, he named him the high priest, a guy named Aristobulus. I'm giving you a little background, a little history here. Um, but, but what happened was when Aristobulus came out before the people and the Jewish people saw this this young man who was a, a, a true believer, a true, uh, 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 you know, a, a real son of, of, this, of this royal dynasty, they began to love Aristobulus more than they began to love Herod. So Herod's jealousy immediately boiled up, and he, and he threw a big party for Aristobulus and said, everybody come to, this house, to, come to the palace, we're going to throw a big party. And under the cover of night, he had this 17-year-old brother-in-law drowned in his pool, executed him. And then when Mary Omne, in her grief and rage, would dare to defy him, he executed his own wife, Mary Omne. And then in his lust for power and his paranoia and his fear that someone would take that power from him, he executed his, his uh, uh, oldest son, um, who was named uh, Alexandros. And then he executed another brother-in-law named Costabar. And then he executed another one of his own sons named Aristobulus, and then he executed another one of his sons named Antipater. It, the, the guy just, he was insatiable in this desire to maintain power. Uh, and anyone who crossed his path, in fact, in fact, Caesar Augustus said of him, he said, I would rather be Herod's hog than his son, because Herod wouldn't dare to defy the kosher laws of, of Judaism and slaughter a pig, right? Because then, then he would lose all credibility. But if his son even, even you know, uh, hinted at defiance, he would have him executed. So that's Herod, this just absolute raging, paranoid, um, you know, power lustful sort of guy. Then on the other side of the world, there are these magi, these wise men, these priests that were probably of the Zoroastrian religion. They were from Persia, likely. Um, and they had been, they had gotten little pieces of the scripture and they had begun to study about, you know, God and the Savior that was uh, prophesied to come. And they began to look up in the sky and they saw some sort of a star or some sort of cosmic event that made them believe that it was time for the Messiah to come. And they didn't have anything to lose. They had everything to gain. They wanted to meet this Messiah. They wanted to meet this king. They, they got together, and even though they weren't believers, even though they weren't of the Hebrew faith, they said, we want to go and meet this king. And they traveled for, for, for probably weeks. They were just committed and devoted to coming and meeting this king. They got to Jerusalem, and they went to the one place that they thought they would be able to find the king. They went to the palace, Herod's palace. Uh, and they had a little interaction with Herod that the scripture describes as this, and I'll read it out to you. It says, after Jesus was born 
in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Now, this is fascinating. Think about just for a moment what you know of Herod. Herod is a guy who anybody who threatens his throne or his power is about ready to just lose it, right? And here come three magi from a faraway country, and they say, we heard that the king of the Jews is about to be born. And he say, wait a minute, the king of the Jews was already born. <laughs> I'm right here, right? So uh, they said, we, we, uh, we've heard that the king of the Jews uh, was about to be born. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. How do you think Herod responded to that? What do you think Herod felt when he heard that the king of the Jews was being born during his watch? What do you think his emotional response was? The scripture tells us in one of the most understated scriptures in the Bible, it says this. When King Herod heard this news, he was disturbed. Yeah, he was a little upset. He was um, troubled by this news. Uh, He had been jockeying all his life to get this position. And now here come these magi telling him that the real king was born. In other words, Herod was disturbed The Magi were devoted. What's so striking to me about this is that Herod was the one who could have, if he had had the insight as the king of the Jews, as the king in Jerusalem at that time, he could have said, you know what? I am the king when I am going to usher in the true Messiah. For thousands of years, the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah to come. King Herod could have said, I happen to be here on the throne when the Messiah comes. I will go and bow my knee before him. I will worship him. I will turn my life over to him. And I'll be, he could have been like Moses. He could have been like Abraham. He could have been one of the pillars of the faith. Um, and he should have been because he was the closest to, uh, to, to Jesus in that, in, that, in that time. He was the, he was the king. He was the, he was the uh, de- devout follower, uh, ostensibly, of Jesus, Right? So he could have been the one to to usher in the kingdom. The Magi were from far, far away. They were from a different culture. They were from a different religion. They were from, you know, a, a, a completely different heritage. And yet they were the ones who wanted to come and worship him. This is what I think the scripture is trying to tell us in this story, in this moment, that God is not interested in your distance from him. He's interested in your devotion to him. What I mean by that is there's this biblical theme in the Bible where Jesus always reaches out to the one that's least likely to come to him. When Jesus met with a Pharisee, uh, a woman came and brought an alabaster box full of perfume and she broke it and she poured it on his feet and she wept tears of gratitude onto his feet and she dried his feet with her hair. And this when the religious leader of the day looked at Jesus and thought in his heart, Jesus doesn't know what this woman is. She's a sinner. She might have been a prostitute. We don't know, but she was a sinful woman. And, and, the, and the Pharisee thought, you know, he, he, doesn't, he has no idea who this woman is. Jesus turned to the Pharisee and he said, you know what? When I came in here, you didn't offer me any, you didn't, you didn't offer to wash my feet. She's washing my feet with her tears and drying it with her hair. You didn't offer to put any uh, oil on my head and anoint me. She's breaking an alabaster box of expensive perfume and and pouring it out. You didn't offer me a greeting, a a, a kiss uh, when I came in. She's kissing my feet. He said, you know, I'm not, I'm not so worried about our proximity, right? I'm more interested in her devotion. You're a Pharisee. You know the rules. You know the law. You're trying to live up to all of it, but your heart isn't there. 
There's this theme over and over and over in the scripture. The Roman centurion who wanted Jesus to heal one of his servants. Uh, Jesus said to him after he exhibited great faith, Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. To a Roman, to somebody who didn't even follow the teachings of the law. Jesus is saying, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. The Samaritan who stopped on the side of the road to pick up the, the man who had been robbed and left for dead, right? The priest walked by, the Levite walked by, but a Samaritan, somebody from far away. God is interested not in how far you are from him right now. He's not interested. He doesn't care about where you've been. He wants just to know where you're going. He wants to know where you're headed. So if you are here today and, and maybe somebody brought you here, it's like Christmas season. Maybe you're here thinking, well, I, I just haven't been to church in a long time. And you feel far from God. Maybe you've been places, said things that you shouldn't have said, thought things that you shouldn't have thought, been places that you probably shouldn't have gone, done things that you wish you hadn't done. And you think to yourself today, you know what? I'm, I mean, I'm not near God. I am far, far from God. Here's the great news. God specializes in bringing people who are far from him close to him. That's what the star is all about. The star was in the sky so that no matter where you were on the globe, you could see it and you could follow Jesus. Jesus says, I I want today to reach out to those who are far, far away, and I want to bring them close. I want to draw them near to me. When Herod heard the news about this king being born, Uh, The scripture says that he gathered together all of his best lawyers, all of his best theologians. uh, And and uh, and it says that when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. They said in Judea. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, he said, Report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. Now, we know in retrospect that Herod had no interest in going and worshiping the Christ child, but he wanted to get the secret intel from the Magi so that he could go out and execute this child. After the Magi had heard the king, it says they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. While Herod was being deceitful in his palace, the Magi were being directed to a stable. They were on their way to go meet the Christ. While Herod was deceitful, the Magi were directed. While Herod was busy maintaining his power and his authority, he was missing out on the greatest opportunity of his life. But the Magi were taking action. The Magi were moving ahead. And notice that the star led them directly to the place where Jesus was born. And here's why. Because God reveals our destiny as we obey his direction. God reveals our destiny as we obey his direction. There's this recurring, another recurring theme in the scripture where God calls us to do something, but the result of what he wants to happen doesn't happen until we take action. It's only after we take the step that we're called to take that the action, the result that he wants to happen, happens. I'll give you an example. When Peter, one of Jesus' followers years later, uh, was out on the boat, on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, he saw Jesus coming across the water. Uh, And he said, Jesus, if that is you, then tell me to come and step into the water and, and, and come to you. And Jesus said, come. 
And in that moment, Peter had a choice, right? He didn't know what was going to happen. But he could not have experienced the faith that he was going to experience until he had actually taken the step. He had just had to take that one next step. When, when uh, Joshua was heading across the Jordan River, the Bible says that, um, that the priests were told that once you step, once the sole of your foot steps into the water of the Jordan River, then it will be rolled back. But you have to take that step. When God called Moses to part the Red Sea, he said, you've got to stretch out your rod. First, stretch out your rod. When Abraham said, uh, you know, when, when he wanted, was going to be made the father of the faithful of many, many nations, God said, I want you to take your only son. Go up to the, to, the, to the mountain and sacrifice him for me. And until Abraham started to make that trek and actually got all the way to putting his son Isaac on the altar, that's when God stopped him. He said, you've proven your faith. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. If you want to experience that, that deep and abiding faith in God that we're all pursuing, that we're all seeking, sometimes it requires that you take the very next step that's just right in front of you. Just whatever that one step is. Maybe that for you is praying a prayer to open your heart to God. Maybe it's praying a prayer just to, just to, to ask God to, to reveal himself to you. Maybe it's, it's getting involved uh, on one of our teams and serving. Maybe it's coming across the street and be, you know, becoming a member of a church, our church or some other church. Whatever that next step is for you, God is calling us to our destiny, but that destiny requires that we take that next step. It does require that we take action. Um, the Magi uh, headed out of Bethlehem. The star was take, or headed out of Jerusalem, heading towards Bethlehem. The star is rising above them. And the scripture says that when, the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. They were overjoyed. So while Herod was desperate, the Magi were delighted. Same news, same piece of information. Christ, the child, has been born. Why were they overjoyed? Because the first time in their life, it all came together. They saw what life was all about. They discovered the Savior of the world, God in flesh, right before their eyes, the creator of the moon and stars, heaven and earth, and he was a baby. And they, they, they fell down and they worshiped him. And here's what I want to tell you about this encounter. A real encounter with Jesus will always produce, produce a rich experience of joy. A real encounter with Jesus will, experience, will produce a rich experience of joy. I don't know if, if, if today you are here and maybe some of you have experienced that, uh, but some of you probably haven't ever had that moment where you go, you recognize that the God of the universe knows you, and he loves you, and he came for you, and he's here with you, and he'll never leave you. But when you recognize that, when you experience that for the very first time, the result is joy in your heart, an unspeakable sense of joy and gratitude that God would love you and reach out to you like that. I want that for every single one of us this Christmas. I want every single one of us to experience that joy. In fact, I was talking to my wife this week, and I said, you know, for, for me, Christmas can be uh, a time of busyness. You know, you're ramping up towards the end of the year. Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, and, and Christmas can just be one of those times where, it, it, you know, you can get distracted. You can be involved in a lot of things. I said, this year, I want to just focus just on Jesus. I want to experience the joy. I can't be up here telling 
the congregation, you know, experience the real, you know, know the reason for the season, right? Unless I'm experiencing that joy myself, unless I'm actually experiencing the love and the peace and the joy and the gratitude of meeting the Savior, of bowing before the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this in a sermon called The Weight of Glory. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, infinite joy, is offered to us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. He said we are far too easily pleased. Herod missed out on something bigger and grander and greater than anything he could have possibly imagined while he was scraping and clawing to keep his little kingdom together. Some of us get so focused and so absorbed and so self-interested in our little kingdom and our little thing that we're trying to build in our little, uh, you know, job or career or whatever it is that we miss out on this expansive, beautiful, amazing and eternal joy that we can experience when we align our lives with our creator, when we give our lives over to God, because his plan for you, his his destiny for you is so much greater than your plan for yourself. The plan that you have for yourself is just, it's like Herod's plan. It's just limited. It's terrestrial. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just here and then it's gone. It's vapor. It's like grass that just blows away and dries up. God's plan for you, God's destiny for you is so much greater. If you want to experience that joy, if you want to experience that destiny, I want to challenge every one of us this Christmas. Let's just turn to Jesus this Christmas. Let's make him the focus of our Christmas. Let's focus on him. Let's pursue him. Let's let's follow that little bit of light and head to that 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 babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Um, uh, after the Magi worshipped the Christ child, um, the scripture says that being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or, or under. So while Herod was destructive, the Magi were delivered. Herod's name will forever go down in infamy by the unthinkable, unthinkable acts of horror and terror that he imposed upon his own people, on his own family, on his own household. His life will be defined by his acts of violence and depravity. In fact, even when Herod died, prior to his death, he, would, he, he told his soldiers to round up 70 prominent members of Jerusalem and have them killed on the, on, on the day that he died. He said, because no one's going to weep for me. So I want all of these beloved people in the community to be slaughtered so that there will be weeping and there will be wailing on the day of my death. His name goes down in infamy for his decadence uh, and for his depravity and for his darkness. But the story of the Magi is a story of deliverance. 
The story of Christ coming is a story that says that God can deliver people who are even far away, people like you and me. He can deliver us and he can destine us and he can put us on the path that he wants for our lives. In the midst of your darkness, there is a light of deliverance. That's what the Christmas story is all about. In the midst of your darkness, and whatever struggle you're experiencing, whatever challenge you're, ha- you're experiencing, whether it's sin or pain or heartache or disease or loss or financial hardship, brokenness in your relationship, strain in your family, confusion in your cre- career, whatever it is, there's light in that darkness. And Jesus is just saying, follow that light. Follow me and I will bring you joy. Let me invite you today every single one of us, to commit ourselves to bowing our knee before the great deliverer, the one who wants to save us and the one who wants to bring us true joy, true joy this Christmas. There were two kings in Jerusalem. One was born into privilege and aristocracy. One was born into poverty and humility. One ruled with an iron fist. The other ruled with an open hand, feeding, healing, strengthening, and encouraging all that he encountered. One gained prominence by spilling the blood of anyone that crossed him. The other gained prominence by spilling his own blood to save the souls of those who would turn to him. One was a man who wanted to be a God. The other was God who made himself into a man for you and me. So do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Wherever you are, wherever you have been, whatever you've done, whatever your past, this is really, really good news. So discover Jesus this Christmas and let your heart rejoice. Let me pray for you. Father, your word is... Is, is, is a light unto uh, our feet and a lamp unto our path. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that you would illuminate yourself to us through your word today. We pray, Lord God, that like the Magi, we would follow that light. We would see that star in the heavens and that we would just take the step that you would have for us, that step that's right in front of us. I pray for every single person that's here today who's burdened with whatever challenges that they bring into this house, into this room, uh, challenges in their relationships and challenges on their jobs, challenges, Lord, with their families and all of the different difficulties and health challenges that people are bringing, especially at this time of year. I pray, God, that you would just bring that, that ray of light into their life that ray of joy, that beam of hope, and that we would all just come to you this Christmas and we would focus on you and we'd experience your love and that we would take that love and, 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 and express that to everyone we meet, that we would say joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Father, we give you the praise for everything that you're doing in our lives, everything you're doing in our congregation. Help us to be a people that brings joy to our community and to our world. We love you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.